One of the uh, things that I was reflecting on as we heard the beautiful uh, musical piece by uh, Barbara and Patty, um, and I mentioned this in the e-weekly if you read that this past week, but you know, my, one of my earliest memories as a small child was I had a second cousin, it was my mom's cousin, Jerry Evans, who served in the U.S. military, was in Vietnam, and was killed in action in Vietnam. And I remember my parents going to his funeral. I was very young, so they didn't want us to go. They didn't take us. Um, but I remember when my children were little, Patty and I took a trip out east, and uh, um, I had a classmate who worked in, uh, in Congress, and so she got us some tickets for the tours. And, and um, we went to the... Vietnam Memorial, and it was, um, you know, amazing to see that big granite wall with all of those names on there. And one of the cool things that they had for the kids was you could, uh, they had little sheets of uh, newsprint you, and then crayons. And so you could take the newsprint and then you could trace over the name of your loved one. So Jerry was up kind of high, so we had to reach up uh, to get it. But uh, we were able to trace his name. Um, and then to take that back uh, to, for my mom, for her to be able to see it. Uh, for That's one thing she didn't get to see in her lifetime. Um, so Memorial Day is different this year. David Cole usually has his Boy Scout troops out at the Veterans Cemetery planting flags. Um, because of COVID the last two years, they haven't been able to do that. But if you don't know anyone personally that has given their life for our nation, someday just take a trip out there and take a look at all those graves. And uh, in amongst them are veterans of World War One, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, all the, um, uh, the Iraq wars, the Middle East wars with Afghanistan. Um, it, it is amazing. And go out when you can see all the flags maybe in a year or two when we can have the kids putting the flags back in the ground to see the numbers of people who have served and the numbers of people who have given their lives. Um, it is impressive. And it's something that should spark within each one of us um, a heartfelt thanks. Now today we are going to talk about Holy Trinity Sunday, but I and I began by asking, um, how do we explain the Holy Spirit? Um, so not, not a quick and easy look here. Um, but I think hopefully it will be helpful uh, to be able to, to see and to understand um, you know, what Jesus is trying to convey in this particular reading of Scripture. The first thing that I think we need to take note of is the first statement that Jesus makes at the very beginning. And that is this. No one, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see the kingdom of God. The rich cannot see the kingdom of God. The poor cannot see the kingdom of God. The knowledgeable, the learned,
cannot see the kingdom of God. The sinners cannot see the kingdom of God. Even this. The disciples, the disciples cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born from above. Unless you are born from above. Nicodemus was a learned man. He was a member of the council, also known as the Sanhedrin. It was a group of 71 leaders, many of them rabbis, uh, influential leaders in Jerusalem. There were other councils that were established in different cities around uh, Israel and beyond. Wherever there were Jewish settlements of people, they would oftentimes have a, a Jewish council. But this was the great council. This was the Sanhedrin. And he was a member. This is the, the council that met and arrested Jesus and tried Jesus. They found him guilty of, of uh, crimes, deserving punishment of execution. But as a council, they couldn't do that. So they hand him over to the Romans, who are happy to take part in executions. And uh, so this is the, the council of religious leaders. We don't assume that it was a unanimous vote, but it was a majority vote to arrest Jesus and to have him put to death. So Nicodemus is a part of that council. He comes in the middle of the night to see Jesus. And he flatters Jesus. He says, obviously the presence of God is with you because <clears throat> if, if God's presence wasn't with you, you couldn't be doing these things. These signs, these miracles. Right before this, Jesus had turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And so what, what uh, Nicodemus is trying to to say to Jesus is, I see something about you that's unique and different and special. So, how do I get it? I mean, for me. And Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Not only was he a member of the council, but he was a man of, we assume, of wealth. Probably owner of, of several businesses, was very successful. He would have had very good standing in the community. Uh, community leader, if he was to exist today, he would probably serve on multiple nonprofit boards. He was a knowledgeable man about the Torah. He probably had large portions of the Torah memorized. And not only was he knowledgeable about it, but he was, he was very obedient to it. He was one of the best at following the teachings of the Torah. So this was a really quite spectacular man, Nicodemus. And yet, even for Nicodemus, Jesus' word stands true. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born.
from above. As we talk about being born from above, it oftentimes is translated as being born again. And uh, that's an okay translation. It's not a great translation because what it does, I think, is it puts kind of the focus or the onus on me doing it. And what, what this word literally means from the Greek is that you are born from above, that God is doing it in you. God is revealing it to you. And so Nicodemus doesn't comprehend what Jesus is trying to convey. I mean, he understands the, the fleshy birth. He understands that he came from his mother's womb, as all children do. But what seems to be missing is the transformational piece, the spiritual piece, his heart, his soul, his mind. Nicodemus is confident, you see, in the quality, might we say, the, the superiority of his own obedience. And so when Jesus explains this to him, it's like it doesn't resonate. He can't comprehend it. To think that this learned, astute, knowledgeable faithful follower of God would actually have something to repent about. In, uh, in verse 5, Jesus takes him a step further. He tries to explain it to him. He says, because we haven't been able to get Nicodemus to comprehend about being born from above, Jesus says this, no one can be born from above without being born of water in the spirit. So now we have a new twist here. Not only are we talking about being born from above, but we're also being talking about being born from water and the spirit. Now, for many of us Christians, this has been an allusion to baptism, to Christian baptism. And, um, and there is some biblical linkages where this could be connected to Christian baptism. However, I think that most scholarship today would recognize that Christian baptism was not specifically spoken about really until the end of Jesus' ministry in the end of Matthew 20, 28 when he tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Christian baptism was not something that we learned about as, um, as an adamant part of, of the transformation that Jesus is talking about. What we do recognize here is that the transformation that Jesus is talking about is a, a transformation of repentance, of change of heart, change of mind, and perhaps even a change of perspective of how we are going to move forward. Water in the spirit. What does it mean when Jesus says that this transformation comes to us from water and the spirit? 
One of the things that that I was led to as I studied this was besides the New Testament, where else is there a reference to water and spirit in the scriptures? And obviously the first place that comes to mind is Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. And, uh, and Joel was a prophet. He was, we call him a pre-exilic prophet. It means he was prophesying before the people were sent into exile by the Babylonians. He was in Judah and Jerusalem. And so Joel was dealing with a lot of the end of the world kinds of stuff. Maybe not so far away from what we feel like today. A lot of the end of the world kind of stuff that, uh, that they were experiencing in Jerusalem. For instance, there was um, uh, a plague of locusts that was destroying all of the crops. And so the, the city and, and the region was being decimated both um, physically and financially by the locusts. And so many thought this was the end. And so Joel speaks to that from this word from God. And in, um, in Joel 28, in Joel 2, 28 and 29, um, as he calls the people to repent prior to this, he now speaks of God's promise to restore the nation of Israel and to pour his Holy Spirit, to, for God to pour the Holy Spirit out upon them. In Joel 20, uh, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, We hear this. Then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on the servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heaven and on earth. You see, the spirit is within you. We say that from our understanding of our doctrine of theology of holy baptism. We are born from above. God, in baptism, God sends his Holy Spirit into us. But one of the things about the scriptures is that when it speaks of the Spirit of God, it doesn't keep the Spirit in a static sense, which I think sometimes our doctrines attempt to do. We'll just kind of contain the spirit right here. The spirit in the, in the scriptures is a very dynamic picture. The spirit of God is, uh, it's, it's kind of like, um, I had a mustard bottle that I used up the other day, and I wanted to recycle it, but I know that you can't really recycle it with the mustard you know, residue around the edge. So I put it underneath the faucet, and I poured water into that mustard jar and it was still there and so I I had to let the water kind of run out and over it you know so it would loosen up all the remains of the mustard so I could get the, the jar clean and I could recycle it I mean that's the depiction of the spirit that Joel is speaking about that the Holy Spirit will be poured into you and you will overflow with this gift of the Spirit. It is a powerful image of God gifting us with water and the Spirit. 
You see, the, the water is the image of how the Spirit pours out over us. Now, we can't physically see the Spirit being poured out. We can't physically experience the Spirit being poured out. But we can spiritually see the Spirit being poured out. Let's go back to last Sunday. Last Sunday we celebrated Pentecost. And in the story of Pentecost, in the book of Acts, we hear how the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all of the disciples that are gathered there, all the followers of Jesus that are gathered in this room in Jerusalem. And it's probably right on the street where people are walking by. And the windows are open because it's warm, springtime, you want the air to flow through. And all of a sudden, the Spirit falls upon these people, and they begin to speak in foreign tongues, different languages. And then they also have these little flickers of flame, of fire, that, that shine above their heads. And it's a really bizarre spiritual scene. And so there are some people from the streets that are watching this activity going on in this room, kind of wondering what's going on in there. They go in and they begin to observe, and then they make the claim, obviously these people are drunk. And Peter's response to them is, uh, they, they, they couldn't be drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That's supposed to be some humor from Peter. Um, obviously, we're all teetotalers here this morning. Uh, so, so Peter is trying to convey that, that what is happening is a spiritual experience. And those who can see it, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and others, they're the ones who record it for us. They're the ones who share it with us. They're the ones that are able to see it. But there are others who cannot see it because they have yet to be born from above. God has not yet revealed to them the power of the Spirit in the life of God's people. I have a friend who has a brother who is homeless. And <clears throat> my friend does everything he can to, to help care for his brother. But his, his brother, by and large, chooses to be homeless. Um, he suffers from multiple mental health issues. And uh, so my friend keeps food and clothing and shoes and um, sleeping bag, things like that, in the car so that as his brother needs things, he is able to provide them for him. But deep down inside, I know what my friend really yearns for, what he longs for, is that his brother could experience not, not just more food and clothing, because he, he can get him that. But what he really yearns for is for his brother to experience a holistic healing, a transformation of his whole health and being, physically, mentally, and spiritually. That's what he prays for, deep down. And so, when we think about that, it puts a different perspective on this 
concept of transformation. Because as people of faith, we can see things that other people may not be able to see. My friend sees a life for his brother that his brother cannot see. But my friend will never be able to tell, my, to tell his brother how to get that life. The only way that his brother will ever get that life is that if he is born from above, if, if this gift of God is able to reveal for him at some point in some time what it means to be able to live a restored life. Jesus says that to see what he sees, we have to be born from above. And that asks the question, it begs the question, what do we see? What do you see? Ezekiel is another prophet who tells us about water and the spirit. Ezekiel says that God will bestow his spirit upon the people of Israel like um, he, he will sprinkle the spirit upon them, like sprinkling water upon them. In Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, we can read verses 25 through 27. Then, this is Ezekiel speaking on behalf of the Lord God, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, the people of Israel, and you'll be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations, my teachings. This is what Ezekiel told the people of Israel right before God gave him the vision of the dry bones. So if you remember, God told Ezekiel to speak two things to the dry bones. One, to the, one was actually to the dry bones. Told them to hear the word of the Lord. So those of us who are dead who need to be born from above, we should be listening to the word of the Lord. And then he said this, and then he said, now speak, because as they listened to the word of the Lord, the bones, the dead dry bones, they, they had flesh on them. They developed organs and then skin over everything. But they were still lifeless corpses. And then God said, now you need to speak to the spirit, <laughs> to the wind actually, but in Hebrew, the wind and the spirit are the same word. So there's a play on that word here. So what God is saying, now speak to the wind, to the spirit, to blow life into these lifeless corpses. And lo and behold, they're brought to life. All because God promised to sprinkle a little water of spirit on his people. And so when we think about Ezekiel, we're reminded that God promises a new heart and a new spirit. And the reason God wants us to have a new heart, a new spirit, is because it creates a new relationship for us with God. I mean, 
To be honest, do you know of people that you'd rather not have a relationship with because maybe, you know, there's something about them. Maybe they're always complaining. Um, they're, they're negative about everything. And so it's like, oh my, do I have to spend another afternoon with these people? I think maybe that's what God is saying about us. When we live according to the world, according to earthly things. God really enjoys us when we are able to live spiritually with God. And so when God offers to, to give us a new heart and a new spirit, it's because God wants a new relationship. A relationship that sees things spiritually that other people may not be able to see. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to transform us from worldly and earthly creatures into spiritual and heavenly creatures. You see, mission and discipleship is about people. It's not about projects. I think when we first started our work with the homeless ministry, I mean, it was fun, but it was a project. We'd go down and serve pancakes every Sunday. And, you know, um, we didn't really see the people as clearly as we should. But what I saw in this man, Bill Cope here, this young man over here, um, what I saw as he began to transition and to focus on the homeless in terms of their needs for life was I saw a transformation in him that was concerned not only with their physical life but with their spiritual life. Because now obviously we, the last couple of years we haven't been able to, to do this but in those earlier years um, Bill would come and talk to me about new friends that he was making at Grace Homeless. And these friends were former homeless people that were now serving the homeless people. And he'd bring them to church and he'd introduce them to me. I think we even, one year I think we even had a couple of them talk about how God had come into their lives. You see, that's the point of the Spirit, is the relationships with God and with one another. To see people's lives changed transformed so that they become uh, spiritual lives as well as just a physical life. Now Nicodemus, he understood what it meant to be an earthly person. He was a worldly person. And he got that. He knew how to care for people's needs. But what he didn't comprehend was what it meant to be a spiritual person. To see things from God's perspective. Not from my centered life perspective, but from above, from God's perspective. And maybe what Nicodemus teaches us here is that we should stop trying to explain the Holy Spirit. And instead, describe the effects of the Holy Spirit. You see, in verse 8, Jesus, in, sense, in a sense, says that. Let me read verse 8 for you. 
The wind, remember, the wind can also mean spirit. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you cannot explain how people are born of the spirit. It happens from above. That's all I can say. And it happens as we live in the word and as we hear the word of the Lord. Perhaps what Nicodemus didn't understand was what God wanted from us was not to understand the spirit but to focus on being open to God's spirit to God's authority to God's power you see the Holy Spirit is a gift from God we can't earn it we cannot attain it we can't explain it we can't even understand it that's why I didn't want to try to tell you what Holy Trinity means because I don't know what it means but what I can tell you is that because of the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit we as a church are different we are different than being monolithic in terms of our perspective that this is God or maybe even dialogical this is Jesus now we're mysterious because we have this gift of the Holy Spirit that we don't get but we receive from above from God and on occasion we are blessed to be able to see the Spirit poured out upon a group of people or an individual. And then we know that that is a place where God is working. That is a place where Jesus is present. And that is a place that we could work alongside of Jesus. I believe that Bill has redirected us, in a sense, with Grace Homeless Ministries so that we now are not looking towards the project, but we're looking towards the relationships, looking with anticipation of what God might do this summer by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.